19, if you're able to, let's stand for the reading of the Word of God tonight. Mark chapter number 13 tonight, and as we stand out of respect for the Word of God, thank you, Brother Munoz. He gets that piano moving over there. Mark chapter number 9, or excuse me, chapter 13, beginning in verse number 9. The Bible says, but take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you to councils, up to councils. And in the synagogues ye shall be beaten, and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them. And the gospel must first be published among all nations, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye uh, premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour, that speak ye. For it is not ye that speak, but the Holy Ghost. Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father the son and the children shall rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Interesting passage tonight as we think about this thought, how Christians, and it's nothing new, are hated for the gospel's sake. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this evening and pray that you bless our time here tonight. And God, help us. Help us to stand for you in this day that we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated tonight. We look at this passage, these verses, and of course we'll look a little bit at what surrounds it tonight. But I think as we look at it, we need to listen to maybe a few facts that ought to cause us to stop and think. As I was preparing for this and had this thought about the hatred for God and the Bible and Christianity, you don't have to search long and hard to find facts like I'm about to share with you. For instance, a Chinese pastor was arrested and thrown into prison and his sons were beaten by the police. 70,000 Indian Christians were driven from their home and forced to march through a jungle to safety just to avoid being murdered. A Christian Mexican family was attacked and killed by their neighbor because their neighbor blamed them and blamed their faith for his daughter's stomach problems. In Saudi Arabia, a man cut out his own daughter's tongue and burned her to death because she converted to Christianity. Taliban gunmen in Afghanistan shot and killed a Christian aid worker as she was walking down the street just because she was, in quotes, Spreading her religion. These stories, and of course I could share many others, they sound like they come from a distant past. 
But the truth is, these are actually recent accounts. These and much more are going on in the world, but we just don't hear a lot about it in the media. Over 200 million Christians in 60 countries are suffering intense persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ. They are literally being hated for the gospel's sake. We oftentimes think we have it bad. But these people and many others, because they hold what we hold so dear, they are under intense persecution. When you come to Mark chapter 13, the verses we read, the Bible tells us here in this same chapter in verse number 3 that Jesus is sitting on the Mount of Olives over against the temple Of course, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew, they're asking Jesus questions. And this is in reference to the things that are going to take place yet future. This oftentimes is referred to as the Olivet Discourse. And as Jesus spends time with his disciples, what does he do? He begins to warn them of the persecution that lies ahead of them. Jesus is telling them, look, you need to be aware of this. I really think when you study the word of God, God gives his word to us so that we too can be aware of maybe what lies ahead of us, what we may face even in our lifetime. Jesus wanted them to know that following him carries a high price. Oftentimes it's a price that many are not willing to pay. Look at Matthew in your notes there, Matthew 16 and verse 24. The men and I looked at this yesterday. The Bible says that Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Jesus is telling his disciples, God's telling us, He wanted them to be aware that if they were going to be called upon in their life as they followed him, that they too would face possible persecution for their faith, their belief that he is who he says he is. And tonight I want to address this passage in Mark 13 about this matter of persecution, how it relates to our faith in Jesus Christ. I think we have it good in America. I think we have it better than we realize, but our brothers and sisters around the world today, tonight, they are paying for their faith, many of them with their own lives. Hard times quite possibly could be on the horizon for the church in America. We too could be facing these hard times and be hated for the gospel's sake if the Lord tarries his coming. No one knows when the Lord's going to come back. But as Jesus sat there on the Mount of Olives over against the temple, notice that he gives them a promise of hardship. A promise of hardship. Look at verse 9 again of our passage. He says to them, 
Take heed to yourselves, for they shall deliver you up to councils. And in the synagogues, ye shall, notice the promise, ye shall be beaten. And ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake and for a testimony against them. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be published among all nations. I see this promise of hardship. It deals with the powers behind this hardship. When you study this passage, you find here that the disciples, they were warned that they were going to be delivered up to councils. I think about how many over the years, when it comes to our heritage that we spoke about this morning, that were basically threatened and warned that if they did not renounce their faith in Christ, that awful, atrocious things would happen to them. I won't share many of those tonight because there's children in the auditorium. be honest with you, without really embellishing, it would make many of us adults sick to hear of how they were treated, how their lives were taken from them. But the reason they stood in their day was because they believed in Jesus. They were persecuted for their faith. And when the Bible mentions here that they would be, Jesus said, you're going to be delivered up to councils. He's making a reference here to the highest ruling body religious body of the day, the Sanhedrin, the so-called Supreme Court of the Jewish people of the day, that they would also stand before rulers and kings. These rulers and kings would interrogate them. They would question them, scrutinize them. For what? For their preaching, for their doctrine, for their beliefs. See, that's why it's so important that not only we know what we believe, but we live what we believe. They would be haunted. They would be harassed. They would be beaten. Some would even die for the faith that they preached, or as the Bible says, proclaimed to the world of their day. You look in the Bible and I... I'll just give you an example tonight, right from the scriptures, how this prophecy of Jesus, that it literally was fulfilled in the book of Acts, and I believe it is still being fulfilled today. Listen to this example. In Acts 4, Peter and John, they were called before the Sanhedrin for healing a man that was lame. You go to Acts chapter 7, Stephen Stephen was tried by the Sanhedrin, and Stephen was stoned to death. Go to Acts 9, the Jews wanted to murder Paul for his preaching. Acts 12, James and Peter were both in prison for their faith, and the Bible tells us that James was beheaded, and Peter was miraculously released from that prison by God. You go to Acts 14. The Bible records there that Paul was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. 
You move on to Acts 16, Paul and Silas. They were placed in prison in Philippi. Acts 18, Paul is brought before the judgment seat in Macedonia to testify of his faith in the Lord. Acts 21, Paul is arrested. Paul is held for trial in Jerusalem. Acts 24, Paul is tried before Felix. Go to Acts 26, Paul is then tried before Festus and King Agrippa. Acts 27 and 28, Paul is kept under house arrest as a prisoner of Rome. Can I tell you tonight, that's just a brief sampling of the persecution in the early church. Listen to Paul's own testimony of what he endured, what he suffered. For the Bible records in 2 Corinthians 11 of the Jews, of the Jews five times received I 40 stripes, save one, five times. Thrice I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Thrice I was shipwrecked. A night and day have I, have I been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of mine own countrymen, mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger, First, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Folks, we have no idea what it means to suffer the way the Apostle Paul suffered. But the persecution is real. The disciples, <clears throat> they received the treatment that they received. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel, the good news, and by the way, that's what it still is. It's a direct threat to organized religion. The gospel is a, a direct threat to <clears throat> the corrupt human government of our day. The gospel exposes sin. It turns the light on ungodliness. It's, it's, it's amazing how when... You look at this world system and when it is confronted by the gospel, that it reacts by seeking to silence the gospel. That's what is going on today. That's why I said a couple weeks ago that this election is not about candidates. It's about silencing the Christian faith. Doing away with any semblance of God. This is how it was in the early church. And can I tell you that it will continue this way until Jesus comes back for his church. At the end of the church age that we are currently living in, as it draws closer, I really believe that there will be an escalade of persecution for those that live for Christ. The Bible says that the world is going to wax worse. Things are not going to get better. And that's why Jesus gave a promise of hardship. And he talked about the powers that are behind that hardship. He also shared with them the places that would be involved in this hardship. The disciples, Jesus told them, 
that they would face this persecution, listen to this, in religious houses. They would face this persecution in the seats of human government. The places where people honestly should expect to be treated decently, fairly. Those who preach the gospel, can I tell you, that we can expect neither. We cannot expect fair treatment. We cannot expect justice in a world that wants nothing to do with God. He talked about these places, the very places that should have been providing refuge and safety. They're going to become judgment halls where evil and other wickedness will condemn righteousness to death. He talked about the powers behind the hardship. He talked about the places that would be involved in the hardship. He talked about the purpose of this hardship. And I think we need to understand this tonight. Why would God allow this hardship? Well, persecution, honestly, will serve to seal the destiny of those who reject the gospel, who reject the message of the gospel. They prove their sinfulness by rejecting the word of God in the way of salvation. They prove it. Persecution, and you study the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, you know what persecution will do? It actually will cause the gospel to spread. When Paul was persecuting the church before he got saved, the gospel went forth. You see, many times people think that it's going to stop the word of God, and the work and will of God. But the reality is, is that persecution oftentimes causes the gospel to spread, to go farther than it's ever gone before. When persecution comes to the church, the faith and the message of the church are validated. It's a fact that the greatest number, if you take the time to look this up, the greatest number of conversions and the greatest number of of God's working is, has always been among the poverty-stricken and persecuted Christians. You study even in the Bible how the Bible says in their deep poverty that their, their riches abounded under the liberalities. The churches in Macedonia, they were, they were poor, they were broke. But yet they gave beyond, the Bible says. And when we see this, this matter of persecution... Persecuted Christians, what they do is they give daily testimony to the depth of their faith. When we go through this and we stand for the Lord, the commitment we have to the gospel of Jesus Christ, as Christians, we tell the world that there's only one way to be saved, and that's through Jesus. But see, they want to embrace every path as a way to get to God. We as Christians tell the world that God demands righteousness and holiness, but they want to live their life uh, on their terms. They want to do as they please. We tell the world that abortion, euthanasia, and assisted suicide are wrong according to the Word of God, but they want to treat life as if it has no value. We tell the world that there's a heaven, and that that heaven can only be reached through faith in Christ, but they want to believe that everyone goes to heaven or that life ends with nothing more than a body in the grave. 
We tell the world that God's word, they don't like this, is our final authority. That we must adhere to the word of God. Why? Because one day we will face him. See, the world, they want to live as though God were dead. They want to live as if they will never give an account for their actions. See, when you think of these matters here that I just shared with you, and there's so many more, I think it's clear for us to see that our message, God's message, and the way of this world are diametrically opposed to each other. They do not mix. See, there are hard times ahead for those who take a stand for righteousness against those things that are rotten in this world. Paul said to Timothy, Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. There are some that already know that to be true. We're in a time where liberals are in control of our government. They favor many, many things that are clearly against the teachings and the doctrines of the Word of God. They believe that everyone should accept the alternate lifestyles that they've come up with. Everyone is expected to accept murdering unborn children. It should be accepted by everyone. We're expected to tolerate sin and evil of every kind. We are expected to tone down our message and soften our speech so that we don't offend the people who engage in sinful activity. When we fail, and I hope we do, when we fail to go along with the demands of this increasingly secular society, we can expect to be persecuted for our stand. See, Christians, can I tell you tonight, there are some things worth fighting for. Because if we don't, then everything we hold true today will be gone tomorrow. I mean, I think about so many things. I think a baby's right to be born is worth fighting for. I think that the right to preach the Word of God without restrictions is worth fighting for. I think that the right to tell a lost world that Jesus saves is worth fighting for. I think the right of a teenager to stand at their graduation ceremony and mention the name of Jesus Christ is worth standing for. There are some things that are worth fighting for. But Jesus makes a promise that we, if we live for God, he promises this hardship. But you know what I love about it is, as we follow along in our passage, that with that promise of hardship comes a promise of help. See, yes, things could get pretty bad. We might face unprecedented times in our nation. But aren't you glad that we're on the right side? I still remember Curtis Hudson many years ago when his body was full of cancer, 
He was spending his last days on this earth, and he stepped up to a pulpit in front of an auditorium filled with friends and pastors and Christians, and he sang that song, I'm on the winning side. Folks, we have the Lord. We have God's help. He is a very present help in times of trouble. When I think about his promise here, yes, hardship will come. Not because of the Lord, but because of the hatred towards him. But he makes a promise of help. Look at verse number 11 in our passage tonight. The Bible says, but, notice he says that, look, here's the promise. They're, they shall deliver you up and they shall, uh, you shall be bought before rulers. He says, all this is going to happen he says, I promise you, but when they shall lead you and deliver you up, take no thought beforehand. Some of you right now are going, well, that's pretty good because I don't know what I'd say. I don't know how I'll handle that. I, I don't know what I'll do. He says, take no thought beforehand what ye shall speak, neither do ye premeditate. I mean, you don't have to have a speech. You don't need something on your phone or, or, or maybe in your wallet or something rehearsed. He says, you don't have to premeditate. He says, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour. In other words, when it happens, when the persecution comes, he says here, that shall ye speak. He says, for it is not ye that speak but the Holy Ghost. Aren't you glad for the ministry of God's Holy Spirit? Because I'm going to tell you something. If that time ever comes in your life and mine, we won't know what to say. But I guarantee you that if we stand for the Lord, that God's Holy Spirit will give us something to say. And it will be something worth saying because it will be from God himself. What a promise. A promise of help. When the disciples would find themselves under this persecution, they, like we, can expect that God will be there, that God will help them. The Lord will give them exactly what they need when they need it as they stand before these councils and kings and rulers and give an account of their preaching. God's promise is that His Spirit will fill them and give them the words that they need. Take your Bible, hold your place here, go to Acts chapter number 4 tonight. Acts chapter number 4 with me. I want you to see one of these instances where Peter and John, in Acts 3, moving into Acts 4. I mean, think about it. The man was lame. He could not walk. Peter and John, going into the temple, see this man. Now think about that. Everyone going into the temple, including the religious gas bags of the day, nobody did anything for this man. They might have dropped a few alms in his cup. They might have said hello to him. But nobody really cared for him like Jesus. Peter looked upon the man and he said, silver and gold have I none. You know what he was saying? He says, I don't have much, but he said to him, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, 
give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. The Bible says the man walking and leaping and praising God. Peter helped the man up, but his feet and ankle bones were immediately strengthened by God. I mean, the Sanhedrin, the council of the day, they thought this Peter must be a miracle worker to help this guy that was lame from his birth. So what do they do? They call them before the council. And notice in Acts 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, Then Peter, notice the statement, filled with the Holy Ghost. Peter said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, not me, by him doth this man stand here before you whole. And then he says this, this, he's talking about Jesus. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Hey, it sounds to me like Peter didn't premeditate. It didn't sound to me like Peter rehearsed that. It sounded to me like Peter didn't know what he was going to say when he was standing before the council. It sounded to me like he was filled with the Holy Ghost. Sound to me like he stood while he was being persecuted. Peter stood before them that day. That same promise that God gives to us, that his spirit would fill us, that God would give us the words to say, we won't go there, but in Acts chapter 24, you see as Paul stood before Felix, how Paul testified. You see later on in Acts 26, Paul now before King Agrippa and Festus, can I tell you this morning, church, or this evening, we don't need to fear the day when persecution comes to the church. Why? Because God has made us a promise, and here's his promise. I will never leave you nor forsake you, no matter where you're at, no matter who you stand before, no matter what persecution comes your way, because you have my spirit that will help you in that hour. On April 17th, 1521. The great reformer, Martin Luther, stood before the Roman Catholic Council to answer charges placed against him of heresy. Luther said these words, Unless I am convinced by proofs from Scripture or by plain and clear reasons and arguments, I can and will not retract. For it is neither safe nor wise to do anything against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. That's what Luther said. Those words, as well as many other words that Luther spoke on that occasion, actually led that council, that church council, to condemn Luther as a heretic. And yes, Luther was persecuted, 
What a man that's, that took a, a 95 grievances thesis and nailed it to the, jo the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany and said, look, these are not right by God. And he was persecuted, but the Protestant Reformation was launched by those very same words. I'll tell you tonight, it's not necessarily on point, but many times people want to place Bible-believing Christians in the Protestant category. We are not Protestant. We never have been. We never will be. You know why? Because we didn't come out of the Roman Catholic Church. What we are a part of began with Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, God is faithful. He's faithful to stand with his people even during persecution. Jesus said, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, amen. You see, there is the promise of hardship, and there is the promise of help. But notice that Jesus also, in this passage, gives a promise of hatred. Look at verse number 12. He says, after he tells them that the Holy Spirit would help them, give them what they needed to speak when the time came, he says in verse 12, Now the brother shall betray the brother to death, and the father, the son, and the children shall rise up against their parents, and shall cause them to be put to death. And Ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. You see, I, I find this promise here, a promise of hatred. Notice the reality of this hatred, because as the persecution, and mark it down, folks, I'm not a prophet. But as this persecution that is in the world today and will continue until the day of Jesus, as this persecution continues, it will intensify. It will get stronger. Even the bonds of family will begin to erode. We just read about it. Father against son. Seems unseemly to us, but according to Jesus, it's going to happen. Family members turning on one another. And we shouldn't be surprised by this revelation. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 10, 36. A man's foes shall be they of his own household. Don't be thinking tonight which one of your relatives I'm talking about. The disciples in their day, they experienced this kind of hatred, this kind of persecution. And as the days march on, the church will too experience this kind of hatred. The reality will become more and more as the Lord tarries is coming, the persecution of the church. It will grow stronger and stronger and more public as the end approaches. The reality of the hatred, but notice the reason for it, because Jesus tells them. He says, you're going to be hated for my name's sake. See, the reason that the world hates the believer, here it is. This is very profound because the world hates Jesus. So that means the world hates anything that has to do with Jesus. If you openly profess that you're a Christian, the world is not going to like you. 
the world's going to hate you. Jesus said it's going to happen. The world is energized. The world is controlled by the wicked one. The Bible describes him as the God of this world. The world is filled with sinners who exist to fulfill the will of the devil. The Bible says in John 8, 44, ye are of your father, the devil, and look at this, the lust of your father ye will do. There are many that will do anything they can to get rid of anything to do with God. You see, the reality of this hatred and the reason Jesus said, because he says, you're doing what you're doing for my namesake. They didn't like me. They're not going to like you. And since the devil hates Jesus, what happens is he causes all those under his power to hate the Lord too. You see the reason for this hatred. Notice the resolve of this hatred. When Jesus made this statement, look at it again. When he said this, that he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. When you look at the passage and you understand it, he's not telling us that some will lose their salvation. That's not possible according to the word of God. You can't lose your salvation under any circumstance. So what is Jesus saying here? What he is making a statement about is he's talking about this hatred. Is Jesus is telling his disciples that Genuine believers, and by the way, you'll know who they are when the persecution comes, but genuine believers prove the reality of their salvation, their relationship with God, and they will, they will prove that by standing true to their profession of faith. And the lesson for all of us tonight is this, that when the persecution comes, and notice I said when. It may or may not be in our lifetime, but when it comes, those who know the Lord will be empowered to stand for him. God will help us in that day, even unto death. I thank God as I study many times those that were faithful saints of God who took their stand in their day for the faith. They did not back down, even as like Paul, they were being tortured and some even being put to death. And I pray that, listen, if you and I are called on one day in our lives to give our all for Jesus, that you and I will do that without hesitation. We can't look at a time that we live in and see maybe a rise in persecution and think the end is near. I know a lot of times we see things that are happening. The Bible mentions how that there's going to be rumors of war and all these types of things that are going to be going on. But listen, none of us really know the day nor the hour. The church, when you look at it, the truth is the church has been persecuted since its inception. Since, since Jesus birthed the church, since Jesus gave his life for the church, the church has always been persecuted. I mentioned in the first century just the many things that even happened in the book of Acts. Countless believers have been burned at the stake alive for their faith. They've been tortured to death. They've been drowned in rivers and, and, and streams. They've been mutilated because of their faith. More than likely, believers in our society, too, will face uh, prison time and maybe loss of personal rights and maybe even like some of our forefathers, some of their property being taken from them. Why? For the sake of the gospel. We need to ask ourselves this simple question. Are we ready to face such a time? Of persecution in our day. Persecution will 
do more for the church than any program would. Listen to what Peter writes. He says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See, persecution, yes, it can be painful. It can be hard for us as maybe it would come in our lifetime, but that persecution can cause the church to really lose her taste for worldliness and liberalism. You say, Pastor, is that going on? I really believe, even among many Christians today, there is this mindset that is more worldly than, than godly. I think that we've even become liberal in our thoughts. The church, if it was under persecution, would once again see the glory of God to return to the church. A lost world would even see, as the church goes through something like that, our devotion to the Lord. Some might even be drawn to the Lord because of that devotion that we have during times of persecution. The gospel would have more influence in this world if the church that preached it actually were a holy church. It were a pure church. It was a church that was separated unto God from this world. See, believing the gospel and even dying for Jesus is far better than living in peace and dying without him. You can have this world, just give me Jesus. All those who die for him, here's the wonderful hope we have, but we're going to spend eternity with him. I really believe that as those that have stood, that, that was on their mind and their heart is, listen, you can take my life, but... To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. See, as believers, are we committed tonight to Jesus? Even to the point of persecution or even possibly death. Say, Pastor, do you know something we don't? Nope. But I know this. Jesus made a promise. And the promise that he made was that there was going to be hardship. He made a promise that there's going to be hatred. But I'm so glad that he made a promise that there would be help for us when the time comes. I don't know how you are tonight, but I think I'd be like Luther and say, Lord, help me. If the time ever comes, would you bow your heads with me tonight? It's not a nice topic to talk about suffering, persecution. But every time you see it in the Word of God, something good comes out of it. And God gets the glory. Are you willing to suffer for the Lord's sake? Be hated for the sake of the gospel? 
Will you pray for, you may not know who they are, but some of those that I mentioned tonight around the world that are suffering, not because of anything they did wrong, but for what they did right. They put their faith in Jesus. Paul suffered. Jesus suffered. And you and I may suffer. But think about this. We need to pray for them. And not only pray for them, but you and I need to pray for us that we will have the same resolve if the time comes, the persecution comes, that we will have that resolve that if we should be called on to walk that same path of persecution. Would you stand to your feet tonight with me with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, the pianos playing tonight. The altar's open. Sunday night, you want to do business with the Lord, maybe ask the Lord to help you. I don't know about you, but I'm glad for the Holy Spirit of God. When the time comes, what will we do? I'm not, I'm not trying to make anybody afraid tonight. I'm just showing you the reality of what Jesus said and how it is highly possible that we will see this in the coming days. We talked this morning about the path to divine judgment. Maybe you want to come tonight and say, Lord, I need your help. I need your strength. Some of you might feel like, and maybe it's true, that you're going through some of this at your workplace. Because chances are you're probably the only or just one of a few Christians at your work. You're being badgered, mocked, ridiculed, made fun of. That's a form of persecution. If that's happening to you, maybe it's your family. Why don't you come tonight and say, God, give me wisdom. Give me patience. Help me to love them. You know what the Bible says? To love our enemies. It's hard to love people that are hating on us. But Jesus loved everyone. He looked down from that cross at the people that had nailed him to that cross and placed that crown of thorns on his head. And he said these words, Father, forgive them. Having loved his own to the very end. Lord, I pray that you'd help us, your church. Lord, I, I don't know, I'm not saying that this is going to happen tomorrow or even the next year. I pray that we won't see it in our life, but it sure seems like as you look around this world and you see those that are already suffering, you can start to see some things going on even in our country. And I hope tonight that your word hasn't discouraged but encouraged your children 
to stand for you in this day that we live in. If there ever was a time for Christians to stand for the gospel, this is the hour, this is the moment. God, may we be a voice crying in the wilderness so that the world around us, like we have, would repent of their sin. Lord, I pray that you would build a hedge around each one of our members as they go to work tomorrow, as they spend time around unsaved family members and friends, that you would help them as you promised, that you would give them the words that they need at that time. Fill them with your spirit. That God, out of that persecution, some of those that are hating on them because of you, that their hearts would be softened. That some of them would come to know you as Savior because you helped us. And they saw, they saw what a Christian should be like, what a Christian should act like. Help us to be more like you. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.